Welcome to Tech Talks with David Savage and Jack Pierce, your technology podcast, coming every Monday and Thursday for the love of tech. On today's show, we've got Naran McClung. He's the group CTO of Viatech, based over in Australia, but someone that I worked with when he was based in London. So a little bit of a different perspective on some of the leadership challenges we often explore in the show. Then myself and Jack are looking at regulation and philanthropy, and we're asking whether or not people and tech organizations who are making as much money as they are could be doing a little bit more to support the communities in which they are making that money. That's coming up on today's show. I hope you enjoy the listen. Good afternoon, Jack. Good afternoon, David. Happy to be in the drift this afternoon. You know I love it when we're recording the drift, because that means I get a nicer coffee than usual. Yeah, not yeah. sat in a meeting room, Yeah, surrounded by... You mean in one in one of our many studios in our office? Sorry, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. <laughs> how, how could I be so silly to call it anything other than a studio? <laughs> how are you this afternoon? Yeah, good, good. Um, still sniggling with laughter over your tweet to BA last night. Sniggling? Sniggling? Can you sniggle with laughter? Sniggering. Snigger. I'm sniggering. Yes. Yeah. Sniggering with laughter over your uh, tweet to BA last night. Yeah. Just, I mean, I'm, I'm on your side in one of your in one of your rants this time because what they trying to do? Try charge you? It's only a rant. Uh, my, uh, that, my... You started the tweet with so BA as if you couldn't tweet in your voice anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife uh, is booked as Haley Savage on the holiday and for various reasons her passport still says Hayley Roberts and they tra- charge us 245 but not BA not BA the travel agent is saying it will cost us 245 pounds to change your name on the ticket yep a new uh, uh, sorry a replacement passport not a new passport a name change passport is only 75 pounds so yeah I asked BA if if this was down to them or just the travel agent I do have a kind of a segue here because, I mean, as, as passports are becoming more and more tech-focused, you can just scan it at the thing like that. Why, then, can't we have access to our passports and simply change the names ourselves, get it signed off by whoever looks after? What, what department does the passport? Passport office. And, yeah, anyway. But there should be a tech answer to updating your passport, is my yes. point. Yeah. Well, blockchain. Ah, go on. There you go. Well, yeah. No, that's it, isn't you, it? You, you get to Why what? do you need this little yeah. book thing? Just stick them all on the blockchain. You get to your gate at the, where you go, Mauritius, and they yeah. get up into the blockchain. Like, oh, we can see you, David Savage here, and Hayley Savage here. Yeah, done. Yeah. Easy. Anyway, there we go. Um, so today's interview, I find quite interesting because this is the view of someone who worked for a very long time in the London market, who's gone back. Uh, to be CTO, group CTO of uh, an Australian business. I think it gives us a nice counterpoint um, on on many of the issues that we often talk about in a podcast, such as regulation, but often from a London, European uh, context with Brexit surrounding things. Here's someone in a completely different environment talking about some of the same issues, but with a slightly different view on them. So Naran is our guest. Here's the interview, but stay tuned. We have got some news and obviously some comment afterwards. So we're joined by Naren. Uh, Naren McClung is based in Australia. You used to be over here in London. We, we knew each other when you were over here in London. Indeed we did. But you moved back to Australia probably three years ago. Have I got that slightly wrong? No, you've got that right. Yeah, it's been uh, maybe a little bit over three years. Yeah, we moved back, moved back with my family. Yeah, and you're now the, the Group Chief Technology Officer at Viatech Technology. 
That's correct. Yes, I am. So um, I've been with Firetech now for uh, a little bit over two and a half years and um, seen a lot of change in that time, um, most of which has happened really in the last 18 months. Um, the first year with Firetech was spent um, bringing our acquisitions together. Um, we had uh, seven acquisitions over as many years. So had to bring that together, um, get the business functioning on a common service works platform. Um, there was a bunch of sort of internal infrastructure projects that needed to happen. But really the, the, the change that I guess we worked on the hardest over the last 18 months was the cultural change, the change in direction, our new strategy, uh, and a huge push uh, with sales uh, with the all-new vision and direction that Biotech now had. Um, and really, that's, that's the way we're operating now with, with all acquisitions functioning as a, as a true national organisation. Now, just out of interest, coming from the London market, which is often described as being kind of somewhat unique and fast-paced and innovative and all these other bits and pieces, I, I think it's probably unfair to assume that Australia isn't all of those things. But I, look, I have heard Australians say, I want to be in London because it's where, where decisions get made, etc., etc. Culturally, yeah. did you notice a difference straight away moving back, back to Australia? Yeah, look, there's a big difference here. There really is. I mean, I, I don't want to paint a picture of, you know, a country full of sort of lazy Australians <laughs> that sit back on their deck and, you know, drink beer and, and enjoy barbecues all, all throughout the day. I mean, we do do quite a lot of that. Um, but there's a difference in pace. So I think from, from a business perspective, what, what you notice in Australia is the disparity between regional Australia and metro Australia. Right. Um, the market in Sydney and Melbourne specifically is very different to the way we do business in, in regional Victoria and regional New South Wales. And it's largely underpinned on, on what's available. You know, like what you take for granted in London and certainly through Europe is the access to connectivity, you know, and bandwidth and the whole ecosystem of services that feeds off that capability and those foundation services. And here in Australia, um, yes, that exists in, in, in sort of Metro Sydney and Melbourne, but it's all, it's still different. You know, it's still, it's still very different. You know, I remember having conversations with my brother who's still in Manchester. He had gigabit connectivity to his house. Now, most businesses in Australia don't have anywhere near that, right? So that's a real difference. And then if you then expand out to, say, regional Victoria and New South Wales, it's it's really only been in the last sort of, I guess you'd say, certainly 12 to 18 months that businesses are now in a position to say, all right, okay, with new bandwidth, we've got a, an initiative in Australia known as the National Broadband Network, which is a sort of a, a largely government government-run initiative um, mm. with a whole bunch of private telco players that are sort of hanging off that, delivering connectivity and bandwidth to, in theory, all of Australia. And it's taken a long time, but it is getting there. And for the, the parts of regional Australia that are now benefiting from improved bandwidth and lower latencies, they're starting to consider different ways to consume services. And there's been a real cultural shift off the back of that. So, I mean, yes, that's, that's, definitely that, noticed a change. That's no an question. interesting... And I guess even in the time that I've been in Australia, I've seen a huge change. Um, again. That, that is an interesting point though. I mean, you talk about Manchester, your brother being in Manchester and what the connections were expected there. And I think in, in the UK we're somewhat guilty sometimes of thinking that kind of darkest Kent is a long way from London. And in, in reality, it's like an hour on the train. Whereas the regional areas that you're talking about, obviously Australia, people forget just how vast it is. And I guess that when you're trying to get people online, you encounter a whole different group of mindsets, even just from the customers, and not just the customers, I suppose, the regional authorities having 
a different outlook to what you might imagine in the UK, which is basically a postage stamp. Yeah, look, 100%. And, and I'll even go as far as to say, I mean, some, some of the big telcos here have held businesses to ransom for a long time, you know. So for businesses that really did depend on, let's say, their own wide area network, for example, um, the telcos have held them to ransom, which means that, you know, as a, as a sales organisation, a sales-led organisation, you know, if you've got a business development manager who's trying to advocate services over the wire and services that um, either are associated with that wide area network or maybe an increase in bandwidth straight away the response you're going to get from the customer is oh geez not a, not again you know what I mean I've been mm. living with this pain for so long how could it possibly get any better so you're almost on the back foot before you even open your mouth but then again that same customer will be quite happy to spend you know a couple of hundred grand on some additional hardware or capacity because that's an investment where uh, they're, they're more in control and they can they can see more value for money but that that is one of the attitudes that's changing now is that with with better bandwidth and i should say more affordable bandwidth available to those businesses um the mindset is changing you know that you're not always on the back foot um conversations that you sort of take for granted in the uk things like office 365 that have sort of become de facto you know they're they're, they're sensible discussions now for a, a regional victoria customer that has previously thought that you know what this is this is out of reach and i'm never mm. going to be able to afford it you mentioned there about Office 365. You're also um, you've got some strategic partnerships in place with HPE, um, yep. HP, Microsoft, Velo Cloud, Rapid Seven. So a lot of different cloud providers there, hybrid hybrid cloud cloud providers. Um, I remember kind of in London a few years ago, it, everyone talked about would cloud take off, and now obviously everyone dials up and dials down technology services and platforms as they need them. Is that something that Australia is approaching now, or is is it already down that path? It's fairly established now in Metro, again. Um, it's that sort of classic disparity between regional and Metro. Yes, um, Metro customers can absolutely see the value. Um, they're not throwing everything at it. I'd say there's there's a very sort of um, discerning look at it. Um, so, you know, what makes sense in the cloud? And you, you sort of, you know, your classic sort of SaaS services, you know, things like email, you know, Salesforce is big over here, ERP platforms, things like that. They're all they're all fairly obvious choices. And then you sort of move down the value stack and look at things like platform as a service. So, you know, SQL on Azure, for example, um, backup DR workloads like that really lend themselves to, to sort of cloud consumption. Um, and then, then you kind of keep going from there and it's very sort of case by case. I mean, smaller sort of born in the cloud style operators seem to be able to make those decisions a lot easier, but sort of established businesses over here and, you know, a, a good mid market customer in Australia will have, you know, multiple offices, offices in Sydney, Melbourne, perhaps Queensland, Brisbane. Um, and absolutely, they're starting to shift more and more workloads, not just to the hyperscale providers, but also MSPs like Viatech that have got a really strong position in the hybrid cloud space that can help a customer navigate, you know, what's appropriate in a private cloud versus public cloud and how do you get that, that good mix, that best value um, type conversation going. So that's kind of where we play. Um, I suppose from a security and risk uh, perspective, if you've got people in regional Australia who are reasonably new to being online in, in, in a kind of an enterprise sense, yep. you're going to have customers who possibly best practice that's been adopted in the metropolitan areas isn't necessarily something that they're, they're overly au fait with. Is that, is that a problem? It's not a problem. It's, um, it's a changing conversation. So we actually had some legislation 
um, kick in, I think, February of this year. It was the notifiable data breach legislation um, that essentially obligates um, businesses, I think, with three million or more turnover in a year, um, should they experience a data breach and, and should that data breach result in serious harm to, let's say, one or more individuals, you, you've got an obligation to report that now. And there's a specific commissioner set up to deal with that. Um, now, what that's done in Australia is it's forced businesses to look at um, real risk-based security as opposed to traditional prevention-based security where you would harden the edge, harden the perimeter, look at firewalls, look at mail filtering, things like that, where you're actively trying to stop something from getting in. Right. The risk-based risk -based approach um, basically says, okay, so in the event that we do have a data breach, do we understand it? Can we eliminate it? Is it still going on, etc.? And I think that the changes in legislation um, in Australia really served as a catalyst to get people thinking about that. And, you know, the, the kind of technologies that we're working with now are technologies that look at user behaviour, you know, and look at the way people operate, you know, where do they work from, what services do they use, look at the credentials that those, those individuals use, and they kind of build up a picture over time. And the really good example that we use is, you know, if you go on holiday and your bank notices that you're in a you're in a strange place buying drinks uh, somewhere where you wouldn't normally, that they may pick that up as an anomaly, uh, yeah. and that's that's the same sort of thing that we're seeing now in the risk-based space, and and businesses are now thinking about that. They're thinking about that that situation where if their prevention-based technologies let them down, what are we going to do about it? How quickly can we pick up on it, and do we have capabilities that allow us to deal with that and manage that? So big change in Australia. Just out of interest, from a legislative from a legislative point of view, um, obviously, whilst distance is vast, I suppose the size of the actual community in terms of numbers is a bit smaller. Does that make it easier to come together as a community and make some of those changes or or to, to, to kind of coordinate and put pressure on the government to, to create effective changes? Uh, I mean, look, Australia loves a bit of legislation. Right. I mean, depending on, on where you sit with it, I mean, it's sometimes described as a sort of, you know, nanny state style um uh, environment. Um, Australia seems very, very capable of introducing legislation. Now, that's that's both a positive thing and sometimes a negative thing. Um, I think as far as the notifiable data breach legislation went, um, look, it was discussed for quite a while. It was introduced. Uh, and then there was a flurry of activity, um, not just within our customer base, but in the market generally around trying to explain what that is. And, you know, every, every sort of provider and, and MSP trying to and get a piece of that action and, and advocate that they they had an answer to a question they were bound to be asked by by their customers. So um, it all sort of happened fairly quickly here. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a you know it's not a it's not a big world in IT here in Australia. So you know we we talk to our counterparts. You know we we, we talk to um, our um, our competitors out there and. Um, yeah, they're all doing fairly similar things. You know, our, our job is to try and be innovative within the space that we operate in and, and deliver services that are complementary to the rest of our, our software-defined stack, which I think we do. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to catch up with you um, and, and hear that you're well. I'm really glad that the move has worked out. And uh, Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's been great. Look, re really good being back here. Um, look, you know what they say, you know, it's, it's lovely and warm here, it's sunny, and there's something to be said for, you know, having those lovely beaches on your doorstep. So <laughs> I don't mean to rub it in, but yeah. As we, as we begin you know to, to, to slide into winter, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> great. I, I did a great time in London. It was a really good 10 years. I don't regret it at all. Got some good friends over there, so London was fantastic. But look, hey, Australia's my home. Absolutely. Look, thanks for your time, Aaron. Thank you very much, David. Cheers. 
Right, first of all, how jealous are you about those comments about barbecues and the beach in summer? I know, I know. I, I love that he went straight to the stereotype there when yeah. he's describing his own compatriots. But yeah, I, I, the Australian way of life has to appeal to somebody like me. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just does. I mean, I love a lot of Australian music, a lot of Australian actors and actresses. ACDC? My favourite band ever, arguably. I was brought up on ACDC. My dad was brought up on ACDC. Anyway, on to more important things like what Naran had to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, find, I find there's a lot that, that's really interesting here. In particular, um, the chat around regulation, notifiable data breach. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the context, obviously, of, of, of the Google breach a few weeks ago, yep. they decided, hey, we're not going to tell anyone because we don't want the bad publicity. But here's a piece of legislation that dictates have to. that a data breach has to be reported. Yep. Yep. And I find it really interesting the way that Naran talks about that changing yep. the mindset of yep. organizations, not to just be preventative, but actually having a think about risk-based security. So for me, that's very much a proactive versus reactive way of looking at cybersecurity. And it makes me think, why has anybody done it on a prevention basis rather than a you know, preemptive risk basis? Because you think if you map out the various scenarios and hypotheses that could happen, Murphy's law it up, you know, what can go wrong will go wrong, then surely you cover more bases than just preventing what you think you're trying to prevent sort of thing. Um, yeah, very interesting point that you have to therefore make it known. Um, because I suppose it links to his other point about disparity in Australia. You know, we get that here in England with the cities and the regions. Um, Australia, as you said, you've got sort of six or seven major cities and then you've got vast areas of nothingness and like small pockets of populations around that. Yeah. And it, it very much reminded me of, you know, London versus some of the regions, not necessarily your Manchesters or Liverpools or Newcastles. You do forget when you live in a city, especially one of London's um, drive and gravitas, you do tend to forget the smaller towns and areas, right? But here we're talking about possibly bits of the UK getting left behind and investment. We often talk about investment yeah, yeah. in London being so strong yeah. and the other parts of the UK 80%, need investment. 80% of VC funding, well, I, I, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 four billion versus one billion in yeah, the rest of the yeah. country. But here we've got a country where actually it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got metro and regional, but the investment is going into those rural areas, bringing them online so that those services can be sold to uh, customers, new yeah. customers effectively. It's interesting that he makes the point that, you know, telcos could effectively hold a business to ransom in regional areas. Um, and that's proving difficult for their sales teams to overcome that, that mentality. But there is a changing of mindset yeah, yeah. and they are investing. Yeah. Those communities aren't getting left behind. What is so surprising here, and um, this re reminded me a lot of Daniel Fogg's interview uh, for Buffalo Grid yeah. on the show a couple of months ago now. He talks about, you know, getting the third world online. Now, Australia is not a third world country at all. You know, it's G8. And it's surprising to me that there was areas of that company being, as you say, held to ransom by the telcos for extortionate amounts of money just to get fair bandwidth. I mean, well, I, I, think, I think in some regards, Obviously, metro areas of Australia are yeah. um, definitely not anything other than Western in, in, yeah, in yeah, many regards. Absolutely. But you're talking about what? Is the, the, the continent is it's something like five or six times the size of, or it's double the size of Europe, I think. Yep. I might be wrong on that, yep. but it's, 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 it's huge. Yeah. And there's a lot of empty space yeah. and very, very isolated communities. I mean, have you seen Wolf Creek, the film Wolf Creek? No. Nope. The scariest film I've ever seen set in the Australian outback. 
well, ridiculously I, chilly. I don't, I don't think you need anything other added to the Australian outback than brown snakes and spiders and whatever else. So, <laughs> yeah, there's um, a reason it's unpopulated. It's scary as hell. Yeah, but what I find fascinating about this is when you listen to it, the tech community, they're capable of introducing legislation because it is tight-knit, because yeah. to a certain extent, there's opportunity here. Um, they, it's almost greenfield. There's not as much technical debt or legacy. When you're talking about the UK, you've obviously got a highly evolved ecosystem and yeah. it's, that can be a challenge. Yeah, steamed in spaghetti or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas here, you've got someone who's coming from the UK, group CTO, and they're able to offer a proper country-wide services yeah. solution business, possibly yeah. for the first time. And that's quite exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, unfairly, we often maybe characterize Australia as being somewhere where it's not as exciting to be in technology because decisions around policy are largely made in the UK or, or Europe or, or, or the States. Is that time zone re related to that, you yeah, know? Yeah. Here's an opportunity yeah, to do yeah. something different yeah. and build an ecosystem and a community from scratch. And that's, that, that's another point I was making. You talk about their community. You've got competitors of Viatech and Viatech talking to each other about remedying the situation. It's something that I, I'd love to say is applicable here in London, but you know, to a certain degree, we do that, bring people together to discuss. But yeah. you know, they're, they're all on the same page, singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah, and whilst, whilst I get an undertone that Naran doesn't always think that the legislation is the best, yeah. Stuff happens quickly. Yeah. And I, I get the impression that that ability to, to build from the ground up is something that he values. Yeah. And that is obviously something that the developing world, we see, you know, people often talk about, well, you don't have to start with everything that's archaic in Africa. Yep. You can implement new technologies from scratch because you're not building on that legacy. Yeah. There's elements of that here. I just find the shift in perspective very interesting as a counterpoint to a lot of the old, the conversations that we have typically. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I thought that was a really insightful uh, interview into an area of the world that I've yet to visit. There we go. Yeah. Look, Naran, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Stick with us. We're going to have a short advert break and then we are discussing some news. Hi folks, Dave here. I wanted to let you know that we've teamed up with audible.co.uk and we're offering you a free audiobook. All you have to do is register for a one month free trial to claim your free audiobook, of which there are over 250,000 to choose from. It's a 30 day free trial. It means you can choose a free audiobook, which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel that trial period or not. Free piece of advice, if you're gonna try an audiobook, go for Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. Anyway, Sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Back to the show. Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for Thursday's news. And our article is taken from The Guardian. It's been a while. It's been a while. This one is written by Sam Levin. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, that would be Sam T. Levin. S-A-M-T-L-E-V-I-N. And the article is Salesforce CEO, tech billionaires hoard their money and won't help the homeless. In a Guardian interview, Mark Benioff calls out Twitter's Jack Dorsey and others for failing to give back to the city where they got rich. 
think this is particularly interesting sitting in a, sorry, this is particularly interesting given that we're in a coffee shop at the bottom of Salesforce Tower. Salesforce Tower. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somehow feel like we've got an exclusive. Yeah. Talking about Salesforce <laughs> yeah. in Salesforce. <laughs> Wait, we need to be careful what we say then because there's probably microphones everywhere. But I find this is really interesting because for me, this talks a lot. You know, we talked about regulation in the first part of the show. Yep. Again, it talks a lot about the, um, the trade-off that governments are having to kind of consider here yeah. when it comes to how do you regulate these tech giants yep. when they have so much influence. Yep. And I realized so many tax breaks as well. Yeah. To where we've been given loads of tax breaks to stay in San Francisco. And I mean, look, I, I struggle with this article, not, not because of Sam Levin or anything like that, but there's something that's not sitting right with myself about Mark Benioff, okay? Now, he is clearly doing good work here. Uh, this whole Proposition C, a ballot measure that would tax large businesses in San Fran by implementing an average 0.5 gross receipts tax for company revenues over 50 million, right? It's a great idea to tax them to give back to the community. And he had me, he had me, I was on his side. There's something very Trumpian about the way this man speaks. And he even, you know, is helping to do, uh, implement Trump's immigration uh, policy. Uh, so there's something quite off about this gentleman that said, his, his desire to eradicate homelessness in the area and city he operates in is, is really good, right? Yeah. And it does beg his belief why, you know, Jack Dorsey from Twitter and uh, I think it's Stripe, he also mentions, um, aren't buying into this now, unless they've got their own initiative or whatever. So let me read out just a few, a few choice bits that jumped out at me. Benioff's recent efforts to call out the ultra-wealthy business leaders has caused divides in the tech industry where it has typically been united in its resistance to taxes that could fund services and combat income equality, mm -hmm. right? Um, I also picked out this point. The Democratic mayor expressed concern about the flight of headquarter companies and jobs if Prop C, which is the piece of legislation being discussed in the article, which we'll share, is passed, a claim that will put her in an awkward position after Benioff became a vocal supporter of the measure. So. Who's running San Francisco here? Well, it's, it's, it's the, the, the fact that the tech industry, typically speaking, has resisted taxation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But governments are unwilling. And, and, and I think this is reflected as well in the UK. Um, you can see with policy that people are unwilling to tax these organisations for fear that they will just bugger off yeah, somewhere yeah. else. Yes, go, go to Switzerland or, you know, something like, or the Cayman Islands or whatever, you know. Which means that we straight away in that question of how effective can governments be in regulating big tech straight away, there's a, yeah. they're on the back foot. Yeah. There's a massive issue. Here. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, the article mentions there's 70 billionaires in the Bay Area of San Francisco alone. Yeah. Now, if I was one of 70 billionaires and I've, you know, the mayor is having a go at us, am I really going to care? Look how much money I'm sitting on and how much influence I'm creating, you know? It's a, it's a horribly between a rock and a hard place position that, that, that government has found themselves in because tech and, uh, and, the, and the industry has accelerated at such a ridiculously fast pace. Now, for, for, for balance, I did have a look at a couple of other articles, another separate article rather in The Guardian, yeah. uh, where it talks about the fact that Dorsey did not respond to a recent Twitter spat. Uh, he's taken on the housing crisis in different ways. Yeah. So he recently threw his weight behind a controversial bill that would have made it more difficult for cities to say no to development. But the article does make the point, you know, Stripe, um, which is one of the organizations that Dorsey is behind, um, they've made $20 million in San Francisco. 
This is a city where one in 25 kids at public school are homeless. I mean, I was, I was reading an article the other day, a blog of someone I enjoy, and they said they've never seen homelessness like they'd seen in San Francisco. And as you say, 70, 70 yeah. billionaires. Yep, yep. And there is a humanitarian crisis there. It's it kind of beggars belief. It's almost like, well, what, do you want us to send out... Um, Boomtown Rats and Midger. Oh, what's his name for Boomtown Rats? Oh, Bob Geldof. Do you want us to sell Geldof, send Geldof and Midger out there to help you guys raise no, some money no for charity? No, no one needs another Band-Aid. No, we don't need another Band-Aid, but they need to take a you know long, hard look at themselves and dive into their pockets a wee bit. For years, we've had the mantra of big business mm -hmm. um, and privatisation and the free markets. Yep. And... I sometimes jokingly by my boss get called a socialist. I wouldn't class myself as a socialist. But at the same time, these organizations have made a lot. Yeah. It's one of the fastest growing parts of society and the economy at home as well in the yeah, UK. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people do need to give back to society. It's yeah. Especially when you see the state like closer to home of the NHS, of 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 the housing, of of social benefits, you know, talking about universal credits etc yeah so many people hold so much wealth and that's why i'm always i always love it when on the podcast we get a tech starter who say we didn't start out to run a business we're yeah. just yeah. fixing a problem yeah, 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 and it's yeah, yeah, genuine yeah. tech for good when you get something that's this size you go hang on a minute what's gone wrong it's uh, there does need to be a stipulation in legislation where like prop c suggests you do donate some money back into you know your socio-economic area that you are operating in. It just seems fair. I mean, there's an obscene amount of pressure on celebrities to give to charity, and rightly so, and, and rightly so. But how is it that we're not picket fencing outside uh, Twitter going, you don't want to give 0.5% of your profits well, or whatever? This is away. the other point, right? People say that the, the answer is in consumer choice. Right. The consumers will share it, etc. But fundamentally, Twitter is important to my job. Absolutely. I can't just switch off Twitter. That, yeah. that would be a real difficulty for me professionally. Where else would you find, you know, gifts? Well, there we go, there we go, exactly. That. No, but on, on a serious note, yeah. like, consumer choice and, that, well, having choice relies on you having different options available to you to be able to reach the same people, have the same conversations. And where you have Amazon and you have Twitter, and to an extent you have the likes of Google, mm. you don't have choice. No, no. So the consumer doesn't actually, they can't, they can't regulate through the user because it's, there's nowhere else for them to go. It's crazy how much reliance we have on those, those, especially those you just listed there. When you consider a FTSE 100 company, these tech companies in regard, in comparison to your typical ones, are still relatively fledgling, you know, 10, 15 years old or whatever, if that. Yet they are so ingrained into our daily life, and you know we have to have Google, we have to have Twitter. Well, I don't use Amazon that much, right? But microphones for this podcast, I buy them off Amazon. Yep. If I could buy them locally from a high street independent store, I would. But they don't exist. They don't. And and even a chain like Maplin's that wasn't a local chain, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, was yeah. at least nationwide, <laughs> is gone. Yeah. So. Yep. I mean, we've only ourselves to blame. In digitalization, we all rush to go online to buy our stuff, not all of us. Because we want it now. Yeah, exactly. So government is to blame, big business tech firms are to blame, but we're also to blame for becoming absorbed. I think my point is that it's easy to say 
it's down to consumers to regulate, but there needs to be more thought behind actually what are the mechanisms to enable consumers and individuals to do that. And consumers need to be a part of that conversation, as we say nearly every week. They yeah. need a place at that, at that meeting to influence it because I don't think they'll be best represented by CEOs and board members. <laughs> I do have another article. It's only going to take two seconds, but it kind of reinforces... Oh, I love this article. My uh, favourite article you sent me, it's all of four sentences long, I think. Um, this was the top story in The Guardian when I went online this morning. The top story. So the big, the big interview yeah. with Benioff was published today, but ahead of it mm. was YouTube outage, video service down for hours before being restored. Now, Is that me, news? Yeah, exactly. Like, how is that newsworthy? But... When you think about the context that we've just been talking about, it just shows the power and the scope yep. of how large these organizations are yep. now. That YouTube going down for a few hours it's is headline. the number yep. one article yep. on the tech pages of The Guardian. And bear in mind that in the UK, it went down at half one in the morning. Yeah. And it's still news. Someone's got up at six in the morning to write that article immediately because they'd heard that YouTube had been out. I do feel sorry for the writer that had to put that together. Like, it's the editor. It's, 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 yeah. the blo it's the blotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, this is the kind of thing that we... We love The Guardian, but this yeah. is the kind of thing we don't want to see. It's not scaremongering in the sense that, you know, it's run for the hills time, but... You know, it's too much waiting towards big tech. Exactly, exactly. There's not enough being shouted about the, the good news stories that you find around, like Buffalo Grid, etc. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway... Right, before we wrap up the show, we need an announcement to make. <laughs> oh, sorry, we have an announcement to make. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we do. Um, for weeks, we've been running uh, Tech Mastermind, and we keep saying we're going to get a fifth person on the show. But Jack has a day job. I've been rather busy, and Ryder, our producer, is on holiday, and, and Ryder makes things happen. He, he uh, is the only thing that makes things happen, And we, yeah. we keep saying we're going to get our fifth caller on, and, and we haven't. So, Kat, <laughs> if you're listening... You have won. You have won Tech Mastermind and Amazon Echo or Echo Dot, I can't remember, whichever to the value of 100, yep. will be coming your way. Get in touch with us. I mean, well I done. think we should get in touch with her. It's been a while. Yes, that or, is true. Is that a testament? Like, you don't get the prize if you're not still listening. Yeah. <laughs> Checking our audience is still there. <laughs> exactly. If any of the other people that entered the competition are still listening, Hishem, Aaron, um, our friend from Houston, Texas. Yes, Alicia. Alicia, if you're still listening, let us know. Mm. If you're not, you're dead to us. Unfortunately, uh, for you guys, Kat did score a fairly remarkable five out of five. Yeah. And to be perfectly frank, I don't think anyone would beat it anyway. I should try and answer the questions. And no. I, would I would give the prize to charity, to the homelessness. I, d I don't think they'd <laughs> no. appreciate you giving them... Amazon Play, I don't like Mondays. Amazon, I can't even fucking think straight. Alexa. Well, it is Amazon. Yeah, but you don't say Amazon. Oh, no. You, yeah, can, yeah. you can change it. Can you? Yeah. So say if you're called Alexa, you can change it to say to another uh, name. Yeah, there's, there's a few presets. You could change it to computer if you're feeling particularly Star Trek-y. What about Skynet? No, but no one goes, Skynet, would you do this? I might. No, but it's not <laughs> a line, is it, anyway? <laughs> Look, so that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed it. We are back next week on Monday. Mm. And... If you're in London on Wednesday night, I'm going to be hosting a panel event yeah. from level 39, from six o'clock, with a few people who are friends of this show, including Peter Briffitt, who's the CEO of Wadestream, Kate Ward from Refinery29, who was on the show fairly recently. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. yeah. And Katie Mills from, uh, from State Zero Labs, who was on our uh, Unbound special. So 
loads of good stuff there to listen to. We've got some, what I think are fairly interesting questions lined up. Come along, take part, have a drink. Throw tomatoes at Dave. That's what I'll be doing anyway. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs>